This is the Raider Cup Nation podcast with your host Alpha Mike and the gang patrolling America's law enforcement beat. Now here's your weekly briefing on Raider Cup Nation. Episode number 59. What are we talking about today? Well, gangs. That is the topic. Gangs, gangs, gangs. Terrorizing American society, American schools, American parks, American neighborhoods, American families. How long are we going to endure with this baloney of these gangs? But we're also going to look at how they were formed, developed. We're going to talk about some of outrageous numbers in gang membership and gangs themselves. Our superhero today with us is going to be the cop, which he's going to talk to us how gangs operate and what we need to look for. Most importantly is the development of gangs. Because if we understand how this ill was created in American society, we'll know how to combat it better in the future. Asking yourself the question, did powerful people in this country have anything to do with the formulation of all these gangs? But we'll get to that soon enough. But before we get to that, I always got to encourage you about, you know what, one more time. Greetings, folks. Alpha Mike, the host of Raider Cop Nation podcast with some exciting news. If you've been considering upgrading your pistol, that's right, placing a new trigger on it, maybe getting a new pair of sights, painting it, whatever the issue is, I know the gunsmith you need to see. And that's not any gunsmith, one with credentials and plenty of them. You see, Pistol Pete was the gunsmith for thousands of officers for many, many years in Miami-Dade. He has a proven record. And sending your weapon to him if you're not in town is as easy as one, two, three. So I recommend that you hook up with the man PistolPeakGuns.com. That's PistolPeakGuns.com. And just as a reminder about Pistol Pete Guns, episode number 60 is going to be the last of our uh, series in our segment Training with Firearms. With Pistol Pete as well. As we look at the conversation, and we, whenever we come up with a concept for the conversation, we want to talk about something that kind of is related to the subject 
matter? And uh, I said, well, the subject matter is gangs, so where do I go with this? And the only thing that I could come up with was one word, and that is evil. Now, we know that God cannot have association with evil. Many times we, as people, when something bad happens to us, we're quick to blame God. Why did God allow this? Why did God allow that? Of course, the answer most of the time is because of our own sinful nature, remembering that we were born in sin. But you see, God cannot have association with evil. This is not about why God allowed. This is more so about why you, you gave up on God. But how can you say such a thing? I go to church. uh, I read the Bible. I do everything the right way, supposedly. But sometimes there's those little things that we don't look at, those fine print, printed material. For example, the scripture tells us that if there's just a little bit of hatred in your heart for somebody, you could lose your soul. So it's the little things you still might not be right. See, nobody guaranteed that this road would be easy. No, just the contrary. Jesus told us that the road to salvation is narrow and difficult. And during that journey, there is many, many, many difficulties. Now, time for the subject matter. Episode number 59 on Raider Cop Nation, we're talking about gangs. The formulation of gangs have been around since the 1820s, at least officially recorded. And mostly they're in how they began in the United States was in New York City in the what was deemed later on, not actually at the time, the ghettos of New York City. 1820, there was a specific gang called the 40 Thieves, and they were recorded for their criminal activity. Of course, in the 1920s, Chicago had an actual gang count, not gang members, but gangs, clubs, organizations of 1,000 in 1920. Washington, D.C., which was an area afflicted by gangs and what was regarded as the Federal Triangle, was known as Murderer Bay, and it was controlled by gang. Then again, Washington, D.C. still might be controlled by gangs. So gangs have infiltrated our country from the beginning. In recent uh, memory, recent times, the FBI, FBI, which collects data on criminal elements, gangs, organized crime, and President Donald Trump's hairspray, 
they have recorded 1.4 million active street, prison, jail, outlaw gang members. So that's all combined in the jails and the prisons, out in the street, and they also mixed them in there with outlaw gang members. They come up with a number of 1.4 million. The FBI tells us that they currently have analyzed 33,500 gang members in the United States. That's a lot. The racial makeup in 1999, the Justice Department and the FBI tells us that gangs were made up of Hispanics by 47%, blacks at 31%, whites at 13%, and Asians at 7%. These tabulations are constantly looked at by federal officials to kind of know where the war is with gangs. But back when I was a kid, there were gangs, of course, in New York City in the 70s and 80s and the 60s. And there were gangs, if you grew up in that area of New York City as I did, some of these names would ring out to you. The Savage Skulls, the Savage Nomads, the uh, Ghetto Brothers, the Seven Immortals, the Mongols, the Black Spades, and the list goes on. They all ran New York City. There were so many gangs in um, probably late 60s, early 70s that the streets looked like the OK Corral. The Bronx on the South Bronx uh, specifically, was was desert town, abandoned, burnt buildings that these gangs roamed in, South Brooklyn, um, so many areas that they controlled. Now, what's real interesting, and this is a little bit off the topic of what the cop is going to present, but I want you to get a kind of understanding at the Raider Cop Nation's theory on gangs. There in the 1970s, approximately 1971 to be exact, there was a killing of a gang member by the name of Cornell Benjamin. And he was trying to negotiate a peace treaty uh, between two or three uh, gang groups, the Seven Immortals, the Black Spades, the Mongols. Apparently they were fighting amongst each other or with each other. Not sure which one it was there. So uh, Cornell Benjamin, acting on behalf of the Ghetto Brothers from the Bronx, they were trying to negotiate a peace. But when he showed up with about 20 of his guys, it didn't go very well, and he was beat to death, hit with a pipe over the head. And it was a murder that scandalized not only the community of the Bronx, it outraged the citizens and the police department, but it also shocked the gang community. And the Ghetto Brothers 
and other gangs at the time, like the Savage Cults and Savage Nomads, they asked for a meeting to stop the violence. And it was organized. It was done in, in the gymnasium of a public school. And cops were not allowed to be inside. Many, many gangs were a part of this meeting where they kind of settled their differences. Now, specifically what I'm getting at is there are, these are gangs that primarily lived in the area of ghetto-infested areas of New York City, whether they were Puerto Rican gangs or Hispanic gangs or black gangs. Their neighborhoods were not the best. There was tremendous amount of poverty as well in these areas. And specifically, I want to talk about the Ghetto Brothers. That was one of the gangs. Well, they, all of a sudden, right after the death of Benjamin, which was one of their guys, they decided no retaliation. We're dropping our gang colors, which is basically the jacket that these gangs would wear with the name or the emblems of who they were on these jackets. We're dropping our colors, and we're going to wear barrettes. And we're going to advocate peace, and we're going to feed the hungry. For any individual that doesn't know really about the area that I'm talking about, you would say, well, you know what? At least out of all the uh, frustrated and gangland uh, criminal element that exists in New York City, at least the, the ghetto brothers are trying to get up and lift up and be the better ones and do the right thing. But something tells me, Alpha Mike, where the hell are they getting the money? You see, unemployment was at 30%, and poverty was everywhere you looked the abandonment of buildings were because owners of these buildings couldn't pay their mortgages. Tenants were thrown out because the banks, you know, they wanted the buildings back. Once the tenants left, the gang, neighbors, uh, gang members in the neighborhood torched the place. There wasn't one. There were hundreds of them in the South Bronx. So the majority of the people, as I said, 30% was unemployed. That's recorded, folks. A lot of gang members don't work. So my question was, where are they going to get the money to do all these community activities that they're doing? And if you think about it, and, and indulge me here for a minute, especially the Democratic Party, a lot of them really like to do work as community activists. In fact, I believe I read an article that former President Barack Barry Obama is organizing uh, these community activists all around the nation. 
Anyway, let me just flip back the page and get back to where I was going with this. So these individuals, good-hearted in nature, they later start organizing with political groups. Now, a lot of the political groups that they were organizing with weren't criminals. That I'm not saying that in the least. But there were organizations that were, how can I say this uh, politely, were on the left side of the political conversation. They were so left that they left themselves out of the conversation because some of the views that they had <laughs> smelled, tasted, and looked like the same things that were happening in Cuba. In fact, some of the ghetto brothers, there are pictures of them, they were photographed in their clubhouse and these organizational events with photographs of Che Guevara in the background and Fidel Castro. A lot of these groups organized, the Hispanic groups, with Puerto Rican organization that wanted to be free of the United States, to be free of the white imperialist America. The black organizations or clubs or gangs started to pick up an affiliation with the Black Panthers. And a lot of this stuff is on video. You don't even have to read it. You can go to YouTube and see it. There was a, a gang called the Young Lords, and they had a lot of affiliation with uh, the Panthers. And you start to basically wonder. If you look at all these documentaries, and I, I did because I'm in that position, if I'm going to present a, a podcast, I, I need to look at it, what gangs represent. And there are so many gangs. You know, I, I could have gone to Los Angeles, and this wouldn't be a one-part series. It would be... Uh, a 12-part episode. Oh, I could have gone to Chicago or other places of the United States that I'm well aware of. I went to what I knew because I grew up in New York City. And I examined what I knew then versus what I know now. What I knew, what I knew then was that you lived in a specific neighborhood you organized, you came up with a name for your club, for your group, for your gang, for your clique. And if anybody that wasn't part of your group, gang, clique, came into your neighborhood, there was hell to pay. Now, back then, most, if not all, of the fights were settled with fists, sticks, bats, and maybe pipes. Occasionally, there was a hard head with a, maybe a knife or brass knuckles. But gun was a little bit different. 
It's also commonly known that a lot of organized crime members got their start in gangs, street gangs, John Gotti being one of them. And they grew out of that internship model that they were in and started graduating to a bigger and higher level of organized crime. Some individuals that were part of gangs were promoted to organized crime levels. Some gangs promoted themselves to organized gang levels. Okay? These gangs now were a force to be reckoned with, a lot of them being bikers, one percenters. They started off maybe as a gang, but according to the media and according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they're called organized crime members. So gangs cannot be as innocent as maybe they once were or we were led to believe than they are today. When we look at MS-13 and we hear what they're doing, and the cop will discuss some of this, it's outrageous. So are the numbers of the MS-13s. 50,000 or something like that is reported and they're worldwide. How the hell did that happen? So these, these numbers, these documentaries, these reports that I read, painted a picture that a bunch of kids that dropped out of school with limited education and no employment, how do they organize all this to create the chaos that they've done? Well, when I started looking at the Ghetto Brothers, they basically told me themselves. They said that they organized with a socialist group. And I'll post that on the show notes so you can see it yourself. And behind those socialist groups in New York City was a power base with money. Sound familiar like today? Maybe that same individual that's pouring out millions of dollars today, which I believe he's about 84, 85 years old. If we go back 40 years, it could be. It could be. So they're being very well organized, very well uh, financed for a purpose. You look at videos of, of the South Bronx in the 1970s and you're left with your mouth open. What in the world happened there? What happened to government? What happened to the paramount responsibility of government is to safeguard their citizens? It was just the wild, wild west. Was there a motive? Is there a motive today? Why does our government constantly tell us about the evils of MS-13? Which they are. And they go and they arrest 10, 12, 13 of them. But their numbers are in the 50, 60,000 range, somewhere in that area. They're worldwide. You're arresting 10, 
12, you're arresting 15, 16-year-old kids. Are they really the brains behind the operation? I remember the savage nomads, savage skulls, savage nomads, both of them, there were two clubs. They were kind of combined, but they were different in name and in presentation. Uh, when you were little, let's say 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, they started recruiting you for their gang, but you couldn't be in the gang with uh, the big guys, so they called you a baby nomad or a baby skull. And as you got older, uh, you were lateral to transfer it over to the, the big time. And so when I see these arrests of MS-13, yes, they've created horrible crimes, but am I to believe that they're all in middle school? Something is amiss. Now, our government has done a, a great job in, in fighting a lot of things. The mob, for all intents and purposes, <clears throat> they've done a good... They're still there, by the way. They're still there, but not at the level of strength that they once had. There are other criminal organizations that have taken over for them, very powerful. They've also... The government has also put a dent in some other type of crime like cocaine and crack on the streets. But we wonder where, where, where is this going with gangs? Again, I'll repeat the numbers. The FBI tells us there are 33,500 gang members, or, gang, or gangs, excuse me, gangs in America, 33,000. That's a whole lot of people. They tell me that there are 1.4 million members. Now, I'm going to leave it there because we can go into a bigger conspiracy theory. But we're going to bring this back down. We're at 35,000 feet, and we're going to start to ascend downwards to a more comfortable flying altitude. The cop's going to come on, and he's going to tell us what to recognize with gang members, how they basically operate, and they're most likely somewhere in your neighborhood. Of course, our motto is always the same. If you see something, say something. But this subject that I'm talking about now, don't be surprised on Raider Cop Nation. You're going to hear more of this one subject on gangs, and that evil left, and I know there are people out there, he goes again with his conspiracy theory, geez, what is wrong with Alpha? No, we're going to look at Los Angeles, we're going to look at Chicago, we're going to look at some more stuff, but everything I talked about today, I'm posting on the show notes, some interesting reading material, and some interesting uh, video material for you to review as well. So, I'm looking at the time and I'm saying to myself, I believe I can hear the sirens. Yep. Folks, I think it's time for The Cop.
Once again, we have our celebrity guest host, the cop. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me once again. Uh, this episode, we're talking about gangs. Now, a lot of people think of gangs when they were kids, a couple of harmless kids that, you know, when they settled the score with their fist. But gangs nowadays are a whole different element, more so of a criminal element, as you know. Give our audience a little feedback on how gangs operate in, let's say, a school, the neighborhood park, uh, or the neighborhood itself. Well, as you know, I spent many years um, enforcing gangs, and I currently teach gangs. And just just to back up a little bit, you, you mentioned when we were kids, we handled stuff with our fists or whatever. Um, it wasn't as violent as, in nature as it is today. I personally um, grew up in the Miami area, and I don't remember gangs in my neighborhood. I'm sure they were there, but I don't remember seeing them. I don't remember being, you know, anybody. I didn't know anybody that was part of them. Um, I, I learned about gangs uh, when I went into law enforcement. And today, um, I would say kids back in the day when you and I were children, what, what was the, the mobster, the gangster, the guy well-dressed on TV, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that was the example of a, of a gang guy. Nowadays, what do you see? Turn on the TV, you see terrorists bombing areas, you see the MS-13 beheading people. So that's the example of the young people today, what they have as what a gang member is, which is just violence, fear and intimidation, and just hostile takeover. Now, going back to your question about... um, your question was related to the schools, correct, Al? Yes. Okay, and in and, and, and the school, I've seen them as young as um, elementary. Um, you'll, you'll find uh, that one older kid in the school that's there to recruit. He's going to recruit that young kid. And they usually go, it usually starts with the um, latchkey kids, those kids that, Mom and dad are working two jobs. You know, mom and dad ain't around. They 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 like to target those kids. Now I've seen them target kids that are not that have both parents in their lives. So it doesn't always mean that. But traditionally, they attack that kid that you know doesn't have much, who's poor, um, or doesn't have what other kids have. And as a parent, what you need to be watching for is. Why is my kid showing up with those two hundred dollar pair of sneakers? Because mm. that's that's a form of recruiting. Why why does my kid always want to wear red? Why does my kid always want to wear blue? Because um, if you think about it, and, I, and this is what I told parents, a reasonable thinking person does not wear the same color every day to school unless it's a uniform. Right. And a lot of these schools don't have uniforms. So um, a story that I have is I had a high school kid, which I documented as a blood many years ago. And the traditional colors of the, of the gang is red. And a couple of years went by and she wanted that documentation to be removed because the young man wanted to go to the military. Of course, I do not want any gangbanger in the military. Um, 
So she asked me if I would remove it. So I basically um, explained to her, well, let him wear something that's blue and let me know. And she explained to me that she was going to buy him a car. So I go to her, well, buy him a blue car. And if he drives that blue car, I will remove the documentation. Well, she bought him a blue car and the kid flipped. He refused to have the blue car. Why? Because red is his dominant color for the gang. She called me and she apologized. Well, again, let's think reasonably. What reasonable kid would not take a car because of his color? Because my kids, if I would have bought them a pink car, they would have taken it. They would have rode in that baby. A car is a car. Yeah. You know, when you're 16, a car is a car. It doesn't matter what color it is. You just want a car. Um, This kid refused to take the car. And she actually called and apologized, and she acknowledged there is a problem. So as parents, parents, you want to look at that. You want to look at um, isolation, the kid's isolating the family. Um, He's bringing home stuff that you know you didn't buy him. He's got money in his pocket that you know you didn't give him. Um, The color is a big thing. wanting to hang out with the same group of people all the time. And when you look out the window, they're all wearing the same colors. Um, typically gang members wear uniforms like the military and, and, the uh, and the police, but it's not always, there's not always the, your typical colors. They may decide to wear white t-shirts today. So those are the things that parents need to look at. You know, if there's, if there's something that you didn't provide them with, you need to ask, where are you getting this from? Now, you said that they would uh, recruitment or as uh, young as elementary. So that makes them almost, what, yes. eight, nine years old, huh? Well, the youngest, the, the youngest one that I ever um, identified, he was an 11-year-old fifth grader. Um, that was the youngest one I've ever came across. Who was, uh, he was more mimicking the gangs because usually... Um, traditionally most gangs don't do the, the jump-ins, which is the initiation until they're at least 13, but they start mentoring them and they start molding them earlier. Um, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Latin Kings dress up their babies in Latin King colors. So these kids are already born into the gang, which is called being blessed in. So once you're blessed in, you don't have to go through the traditional, um, initiation because you were born into the gang because your mom or dad or or, or a gang member so you were born into it. Um, so I've seen um, babies as you know toddlers dressing up already in the gang colors because their parents are pushing that they're pushing that lifestyle upon that child. It's horrible. Now, uh, on, it's a way of life. It it's is. A, I was about to. Life for them. I was about to say that is part of their society. I'm sure that they have a, a secret codes that they use and different language that they might be uh, using as well. Absolutely, gang signs. You know, so it's a part of their. Absolutely. Society. Well, you know, to them, it's family. To, to to them, that gang is more loyal than blood. It's it's a family. And they 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 raised their family to be part of that family, to be part of that culture. Uh, unfortunately, and in, in, in the world today, because um, there's been there's been um, documented incidents where there's Latin kings all over the world, 
there's MS-13s in Europe. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a worldwide epidemic. And, um, you know, these is a culture for them. It's, and it's unfortunately has become part of our culture. Um, I think today, um, people are more accepting in the sense that they know the gangs are out there than the years ago, everybody was in denial. There's no gangs in my community. I think more and more Americans today are aware of, okay, there's gangs in my community. Yeah, it, it it is horrible when we see these things on the news. Americans actually know that they exist, but the magnitude of their culture is, it's like fighting against ISIS. No, no different with that type of mentality. Absolutely. Horrible. How can I support? And, and that's the behavior that, that, that just, just to stop you, when you mention ISIS, you know, we got to remember that that's the behavior they're mimicking. They're mimicking the terrorist mentality. If you look at the MS-13, if you look at those, those larger gangs, the CERT-13 that are coming over here across the border uh, from Honduras, Guatemala, parts of Mexico, these guys are more violent, I will say, than Arcata. And they're in our own backyard. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is, again, hating the country or hating establishment or authority. But there's nothing positive that comes from uh, having a gang around, that's for sure. So a big difference from when we were kids Absolutely. because these guys are just killing society. Very, very violent in nature. And unfortunately... Um, they they have no respect or regards for life, and they they can easily target the adult or the adult's baby. Um, they they're they're very heartless, um, violent people, and uh, we we definitely got to keep an eye out for for those groups in our neighborhoods and our communities. If I want to support law enforcement on this very important issue of gangs, how do I support it? Again, you know, um, like we've discussed before in previous shows, call your local crime stoppers and explain to them what you're seeing. You know, what are, what are those things that you're seeing? I'm seeing guys dressed in blue. I'm seeing guys dressed in red. Um, I, I, you know, a, a big... Um, a big way that they fund they fund these uh, groups are through um, illegal narcotic sales. Well, I'm seeing a lot of traffic in and out of the area. Um, you know, I'm I'm hearing gunshots at night in the area. Um, it's just whatever you whatever information you could give them, um, and you and, and you 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 know you remain protected because under the Crime Stoppers, you you remain anonymous and um, and and get the word out. You know, it, it, it may, you know, at the end of the day, I tell people it could be a bunch of Boy Scouts hanging out together, but at the end of the day, it might be more than just that. You, you just never know. Yeah. If you're, if you're a supporter of your local law enforcement community, they need your help. And one of the ways that you can help is by reporting what you see. You know, the, the, the adage is, if you see something, say something. Well, of course... It is important because how do you alert authorities of specific gang activity is by reporting what you see. So you're absolutely right. And, 
and if people don't get motivated by by the fact that um, myself and other people who consider themselves expert in the gang world will tell you, gangs today are domestic terrorists. And if that doesn't motivate people to sit, do something, and I don't know what will, because they're very dangerous today. The gangs are not, like you said, they're not the little rascals anymore. These guys are out there to do damage and to hurt, and they just take over communities. They take over schools. It's just a complete takeover by fear and intimidation. And I'm glad you mentioned that in the opening remarks of this episode, I spoke about a, a gang documentary that was in the 70s, early 70s, late 60s. And the guy being interviewed basically says on camera that he was recruited to start his gang by the local Communist Party. And that's crazy. That's what... But what you you wonder where does this come from? It's not American values, it's not Christian values. Uh, where does this come from? It comes from an evil force out there. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 you know what? I didn't I didn't know that fact, but it makes sense. Yeah, and and that's going to be posted on our show notes. Before we let you go, we always it's a pleasure to have the cop on with us. Having a superhero is always a good thing. Now, before we let you go, we've got to do the double tap. And I've made one question pretty much easy. And I'll make the disclaimer before people start saying, oh, that question is just too easy. Sometimes you got to hear things from people to make other people be uh, become believers. And my second uh, double shot question is more sports oriented. So here we go. First question, do you support the Second Amendment for or against and why? Well, I'm absolutely for it. Um, you know, the, the right to bear arms is what separates us from other countries to be able to protect ourselves from tinnery and, and people trying to take over the country. Um, it was created for that reason. And uh, I believe without that right, we're just letting ourselves open for, and you even mentioned it, for such governments as communism. Um, it's, 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 it's one of those amendments is the backbone of our country. If you look at those countries that um, have, be, have gone that route, the communism route, one of the first thing they do is take the firearms away from their citizens. Why? Because you can't fight without without firearms you cannot fight with weapons um you know my 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 parents um um left cuba in the, in the 1960s and um and i don't know if it's still like that today but there was such a hardcore gun control that the cuban police officer when he would get off duty he would have to turn in that firearm because that was the way the government controlled their people they knew that they weren't going to get fired upon because the citizens had no weapons. So, yes, I am a firm believer of, of the Second Amendment. I think it's the backbone of this country. I think it's what separates us from many people in the world. Um, you've got to have the right to protect, um, first of all, your family, and second of all, our way of life. And I believe that amendment itself is, is the backbone of those rights. Yeah, I agree. All right, our second question 
is more sports oriented, as I told you. Now, remembering your youth, all different types of sports that were out there, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and compare that to today's sports teams, which one do you support more, old school or new school, and why? I, 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 I've, um, I'm the wrong guy for that question because I am not a sports guy. I, I, I'm not one to stay glued to the TV. I've never been. But my background, as you know, I, I was um, um, football. As a, as a child, I played a lot of football, um, Pop Warner, high school, college level. And uh, today, um, I don't support the professional arena of football. Um, this is actually going to be my second year of my adult life that I'm not going to even watch the Super Bowl. Um, I think when, when I was a child, when I was a young man, there was respect for this country. There was respect for the game. I think that respect for the country um, and that particular sport, and from what I'm hearing even now in basketball, um, is out the window. Um, so currently, when I do watch a football game, when I do have time to watch a football game, I concentrate more in college. Um, at the college level, they, they haven't lost that respect. Right. Um, if that ever was to occur, I think I will probably start watching tennis. Um, or golf. To me, you don't disrespect the country. Or golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was- um, I'm just... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to feed into... Um, or support people who don't support our flag. Um, I just think there's a place and a time, and, and this is for another day, but I think there's a place and a time for protest. And the, the people that, that buy those tickets are patriots. Um, the people that watch it are patriots. And if you don't want to respect them, which ultimately are the people you work for, then I'm not going to be part of that. And um, like I said, I'm not, I've never been one to really stay in front of the TV. You know, I, I, will, I would occasionally watch my favorite team, um, which, of course, was the Miami Dolphins. I haven't watched a Dolphin game in a long time because of their behavior. Um, but this will be the second time in my adult life that I have not watched a Super Bowl. Um, and I refuse to watch it until, until the NFL steps up and really stops this nonsense. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I will never buy another Nike product as well. But, um, but that's, that's, that's my take on sports. I think sports back in the day were better, more respectful. Um, uh, they really looked out for the fan. I don't think, I don't think the, the game today is, is, is about the fan. It's, it's, it's about the, the cause, their cause, their yeah. agenda. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Back in the day, you had a player that played 20 years on a specific team because he believed in the, the team. Today, it's I believe in me, forget the team. And that is the difference. I believe in the paycheck. Exactly. Yeah. It's the me, me society. Yeah. yeah, follow the money. Which, you know, that, that's, that's my issue with the whole thing. Here you are, you're making, you're making millions of dollars to play a game. And you want to disrespect the country that is giving you that opportunity. Because I could tell you from working in Europe, um, when I did, uh, those athletes don't get paid what our, our American athletes get paid. 
no, no other country gives an athlete that opportunity to make, to become millionaires. It's crazy. Yeah. Playing, playing the game. Yeah. You know, and then you're going to sit there and disrespect the flag of a country that is giving you that opportunity. Uh, that's just something I can't wrap my head around or nor would I tolerate. Yeah, it, it is sad. Well, I, I, I thank you for allowing us to walk the beat with you. Uh, it is always a pleasure to have the cop here on Raider Cop Nation, and we wish you always the best. Well, thanks, Al. Thanks for having us. And as always, you know, God bless our first responders. and God bless our military and God bless you, my brother. Just like that, the cop is gone again. But we'll return at a later time. Don't forget our next episode after 59 is 60, and we're going to wrap up the series of training in firearms. Of course, we'll have Kilo Sierra here with, with us and Pistol Pete. And uh, the last of these three-part series, we're going to talk about um, little more higher level in training, what they could do at home, and very important, this is the, um, the podcast or the episode that you want to bring your crayons, pencils, um, coloring sets, cardboard boxes to take down notes because Pistol Pete is going to tell us, bought a gun, got a gun, and you just took it out a couple of times, maybe shot one, two, three hundred rounds through that weapon. Feels good, but can it feel better? And he's gonna take he's gonna talk to you about how to produce better. It's gonna make you a better shooter, a more confident one as well. So that's episode number six zero. Boy, we're moving on up, aren't we, folks? Six zero, and that will be the last of our firearms training uh, classes. I believe we have another one after this where uh, Pistol Pete will be back with us. This guy, I mean, not only do I, I love him uh, like a brother, he is the expert. And uh, so he's going to be coming on a, on a podcast that we're going to be doing, episode on the plastic gun. The plastic gun, the era of the domination of the Glock, is over. And everybody, everybody now has a plastic gun. So that episode is coming up, and then we're going to uh, go into 2019. And there we have a six-part series, and I don't want you to miss this one. It's on concealed carry, and it's going to talk about who, what, when, where, why, how, and it's really going to break it down. You know, let's say you're already a concealed carry. Um, let's say you're considering it. 
what's to do and don'ts. It's the tactical aspect of it. It is something that we have been digitally working on 09 Training Group for a long time, coming up with our curriculum on concealed carry. And uh, don't miss that episode. That starts January of 2019. As always, folks, we bring you the best quality podcast we can. You know, we're not up there with all... Everybody and their mother has a podcast, by the way. If you haven't noticed, but pay attention, usually there's the radio guy that you've been listening to for a long, long time, maybe on AM radio, FM radio. And they've got a gazillion fans on there. And now they're transitioning to podcast. And you say to yourself, what the hell is this? What is this? You know, they've been on there forever and a day. Well, folks, the radio, as you know, it is slowly, slowly dying. A lot of corporations now are funneling their money in sponsorship or ad spots for these podcasts. So, yes, they're radio personalities with huge audiences, but they're transitioning to, first of all, a world that has millions upon millions of podcasts. When I started in 07 with the first podcast, I remember um, looking at the analytics and on one specific show, I had 67,000 downloads. I nearly fell out of my chair. Those numbers now are very, very, very difficult to produce. Not because of the quality or the quantity of the show, but because of the competition out there is in the millions. So we're just one voice out there amongst many. I do periodically review a law enforcement podcast, and I'm happy to report, other than a bunch of war stories and gagging on the radio, there's not much there. Now, I'm sure they have an audience, they have a sponsor, they get patted on the back, but we're not about that. I'm not going to have a podcast where I can get my favorite chief or chief of police or chief of corrections on here, pat them on the back and tell them they're doing a wonderful job. No, go get your own cheerleader. Uh, we're here to discuss things that are dealt with in law enforcement, whether in police and corrections, and some things that the community and the public just doesn't know about, how they work. And I'm going to tell you this. The name that we came up with, and I've said this before, Raider Cop Nation, It the Raider part is the buccaneer part or the pirate seizing the loot part. And what I specifically mean with that is there are so, so many secrets behind the blue line. And I'm not talking about ratting out. No. I'm talking about how these agency heads run their agencies. And we want to expose those political hacks just like in the FBI, folks, you're watching and you're witnessing it with your own eyes. 
Well, it's also in some local police departments as well. Not some, a whole lot. And we can't sit here and start identifying one by one. So we're giving you the elements to look for it yourself. You know, when you can't see, and I, and I like to use Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, as the example. He was a sticker for what he called quality of life issues. And he had the police go out there and enforce those. Little, you know, selling uh, uh, tapes or uh, video recordings of without a license, things that might be secondhand or, or uh, they're stealing the name of, the ma- of, of a major corporation or um, peeing in the street, uh, small little quality issues. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, see, the small stuff turns into big stuff. And if I get away with a little, then I'm going to try to get away with a lot. And as a result of that, he was effective. Cleaned out Times Square, cleaned out a lot of the city. And look at what's going on in New York City now. Runaway train, my friends. I've got a podcast coming up. One of them about the New York City Corrections Department. The officers themselves are screaming bloody murder that uh, the city has absolutely no plans to close their jail facility. They have absolutely no plans. And some of the stuff that I've read in the newspaper, New York Post, is scary. Scary. Officers in the New York City Corrections Department are being assaulted every day. It is a totally out of control. And the police department, they're not enforcing those quality of life issues anymore. They've even been told by the mayor, stand down on simple marijuana charges and stuff like that. As the left swings the pendulum always very close to the juggler vein, always eroding society and American society. That's what they're all about. Once again, folks, I am humbled by the opportunity to come out here as your host on Raider Cop Nation. We do everything we can to give you correct, accurate, truthful information. We want to build a better community, and we need your help. Alpha Mike signing out. God bless you. God bless your agency. God bless America.